The third act of 2022 is now underway as summer informally ends as this four-day work week begins. There's no time like this present day of September 6th to get going, which is fitting given that this is National Fight Procrastination Day, a made-up holiday, but certainly an occasion the detail-oriented can get behind, above, below, under, or from whatever vantage point one feels most appropriate to push or pull. Whatever adjective, whatever verb, I'm Sean Tubbs, and this is Charlottesville Community Engagement. On today's show, the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority details a $675,000 purchase of two duplexes in the Locust Grove neighborhood. Congressional elections are two months away, but there's still not a campaign forum scheduled for the two candidates in the 5th District of Virginia. A South Boston developer will appear before the Scottsville Planning Commission tonight for a rezoning for 205 units in the former Scottsville Tire Factory. And today is the last day to comment on the latest document in the Seville Plans Together initiative. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, have you been thinking of converting your fossil fuel appliances and furnaces into something that will help the community reduce its greenhouse gas emissions? Your local energy nonprofit, LEAP, has launched a new program to guide you through the steps toward electrifying your home. Thermalize Virginia will help you understand electrification and connect you with vetted contractors to get the work done and help you find any rebates or discounts. Visit thermalizeva.org to learn more and to sign up. The entity that operates the city's public housing sites has acquired its first new properties in many years. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority has paid $675,000 for two parcels on Coleman Street. John Sales is the CRHA's executive director. There are two duplex, brick duplex units. Uh, they're currently renting for between $650 a month to $850 a month. They are two bedroom, one bath units, so they're already affordable units. Sales said market rate units are renting for about $1,500 a month. He said CRHA learned of these properties about a month ago and put an offer in soon afterward. This all came about probably two months ago when we lost out on a property on Seven and a Half Street, and we talked to the city about how we could purchase it. And they started looking through some of the accounts that CRHA is already authorizing granted, uh, such as the CISRAP account, which is the Charlottesville Supplemental Rental Assistance Program. That program was created in October of 2017 to augment the CRHA's ability to distribute federal housing vouchers. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development authorizes a certain amount per year, but does not fund all of them. The account had a balance of $2 million, and the money could be used for this purpose. Charlottesville City Council has to sign off on the matter and will do so at their meeting tonight. In the meantime, the CRHA borrowed money from the Charlottesville Area Community Foundation to cover the cost in the meantime. Our development partner for the redevelopment has um, agreed to fund it as a loan uh, through a CACF that we pay back zero interest and we have 90 days to pay it back. 
Sales said there is a potential to redevelop the site, but for now, the existing units will remain for rent. Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville owns two adjacent parcels next door. Sales said there is still $700,000 left in the account, and he wants to use it to purchase more land. We are still constantly looking to see what other opportunities may be out there uh, where we can preserve affordable housing or um, take some units that aren't currently affordable but make them affordable. More on those units at 7 and a half Street in the forthcoming August Property Transactions Report, which will be out this week for paid subscribers of Charlottesville Community Engagement. In other CRHA news, City Council is also expected to appoint two vacant positions to the CRHA Board of Commissioners at tonight's meeting. That's according to City Councilor Michael Payne at the last meeting of the CRHA. Election Day is 63 days away, and time is running out for the two candidates in Virginia's 5th Congressional District to have a debate, candidate forum, or other public interaction. In August, Democratic candidate Joshua Throneberg challenged Republican incumbent Bob Good to some form of a debate, but so far, none has been scheduled. Good's campaign manager told Charlottesville Community Engagement over the weekend that there are no plans, but said that we'll be notified when one is scheduled. Throneberg's communications director said that six groups have offered to host a forum, and one has already canceled due to a lack of communication from the Good campaign. On August 8th, Good issued a statement saying that he looked forward to scheduling a debate. In that message, he said that the voters of the 5th District are with him on the issues, and his campaign message resonates as people as they, quote, suffer under Democrat extreme policies. On Labor Day, both candidates offered messages to the public on Twitter. Take a look in the newsletter, because Twitter doesn't really work on the radio. A company called Echelon Resources wants to convert a portion of a former tire factory in Scottsville into apartments as their latest effort to redevelop a historic property. The redevelopment of such sites reinvigorate the surrounding neighborhoods, and doing so transforms what were once financial negatives to become healthy financial contributors to their communities. That's according to the application for a rezoning and special use permit. The project has the title Scottsville Lofts, and Echelon Resources is seeking to create 205 units. As part of the rezoning, they are conditioning the payment of $200,000 to the town of Scottsville for the creation of a sidewalk on Bird Street or some other future trail connection. They're also willing to set aside 20% of apartment units to be affordable for 10 years to people or households with an annual income below the 60% median. The Scottsville Planning Commission will hold first reading of the item tonight, but the public hearing won't be held until October 3rd. Staff is recommending approval, though staff notes the potential for traffic congestion and a lack of non-residential uses. Here's a bit from the staff report. The building has a history of intensive use and traffic and was the town's economic engine for decades. The renovation plan appears sound and brings massive new investment and vitality to the community. The land is currently zoned for heavy industrial. The factory was built in 1944 and was for many years the main economic engine in Scottsville, but closed in 2009. Attempts were made to find a new industry to take over the space, but the site's distance from major highways made it a poor candidate.
you're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. And in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, do you want to change up your lawn to something more sustainable for pollinators and other creatures? Well, the Piedmont Master Gardeners want you to know about a program called Healthy Virginian Lawns, which can assist you in your transition. The program is a joint venture of Virginia Cooperative Extension and the Virginia Department of Conservation and Recreation. If you're interested, the first step will be for a Piedmont Master Gardener to come for a visit for an assessment and soil tests. Healthy Virginia Lawns will give you a customized, science-based roadmap to a greener landscape that protects water quality, wildlife, and other resources along the way. Visit PiedmontMasterGardeners.org to learn more. One more segment to go, and it's something that I had hoped I could have gotten to you a week ago, but I have not invented the time machine yet. Anyone got a flux whatever that thing was? Today is the final day to submit an online comment on the latest round of public input for the current step of the Seville Plans Together initiative. People can comment on the zoning, diagnostic, and approach report either in English or in Spanish. The report states basic themes that will be included in a new zoning code that is being written to implement the spirit of the Affordable Housing Plan adopted in March of 2021 and the Comprehensive Plan adopted in November of 2021. The goal is to make it easier for developers to build more housing by allowing more residential density. Last week, the steering committee for the Seville Plans Together initiative met and got an update on where things are. That group last met in March, and at this meeting, they learned the details of an inclusionary zoning program intended to encourage, incentivize, or require more new units that are rented or sold below market to those who can demonstrate lower incomes. Here's James Fries, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services. Over the course of the last couple months, we've been collecting comments and questions about this report. City Council and the Planning Commission will have a work session on September 27th, but last week, the steering committee had the chance to weigh in. Before they did, Jenny Koch with the firm Roadside and Harwell stressed that nothing is final. I want to emphasize we haven't, you know, in this document, as you uh, probably have seen, we've, we're not proposing a new zoning map yet or draft zoning text. What this does is show how some of the residential land use categories will be translated potentially from the comprehensive plan to the zoning ordinance and starts thinking about some of the other changes to be made. Staff with the firm Code Studio performed what they called residential testing as a way of modeling what potential new housing types could be built on existing lots. That's a first step to writing the rules for how new structures can be built in a city where there's not much undeveloped land. Christy Dodson is with the firm Code Studio. For the most part, Charlottesville is pretty built out, and a lot of these housing types that are going to exist are going to be infill. That means it's going to happen sort of in and around where you have existing development. Dodson said this level of review assumed the highest maximum level of density on each lot as a planning exercise. Actual results may vary. So it, it doesn't necessarily think about the financial feasibility. There are financial and physical trade-offs and constraints that would very likely um, limit and probably drastically reduce the amount of housing that you could fit on these lots. There are at least two examples of this council's willingness to support additional density even without the new zoning in place. In April, 
Council approved a rezoning in Fifeville that will see 28 units on about two-thirds of an acre. The future land use map adopted by Council shows that land on Valley Road Extended as general residential. Council also approved 170 units on Stribling Avenue on about 12 acres in April. That land has been designated as medium-intensity residential. Council's approval was contingent on a public-private partnership where Southern Development will agree to cover the upfront costs of building the sidewalk on Stribling. They'll be paid back through breaks on the property taxes as the property increases in value. But both of those properties are currently undeveloped. Infill development will have to be on existing lots. Dodson said many of these and older residential neighborhoods are narrow and may have issues getting access to the rear of the property. Wide lots have different constraints. They're not necessarily located in as walkable of areas, so some um, some constraints to that, you need to probably put more parking because it's, it's a little bit more vehicular-centric in those areas, and there are areas with topography. There are a lot of details in the report about housing types and what might fit where. There are a lot of potential variables, but the process is seeking a way to eliminate the role that council and the planning commission plays in approving additional density. As a start, Code Studio is recommending the creation of two zoning categories. One would be for house scale districts for general residential and general residential sensitive communities. The other would be medium scale for medium intensity residential. The sensitive areas would have additional criteria. So we want to make sure that that reduction of risk of displacement is something that we're thinking about. You know, we know that zoning is a really limited tool for that, but we want to make sure that we get it right um, with, with what we can do in zoning, right? We're sort of setting the framework so that other policies can come along and support it. Various members of the steering committee had the chance to make recommendations and comments, including the representative from Preservation Piedmont. Here is Jean Hyatt. We'd like to see on your map indications of the overlay districts, which are our architectural design control districts, our historic conservation districts, and our in entrance corridors. Diane Dale represents the Neighborhood Leaders Group and said she was concerned about the use of incentives such as reducing parking requirements in exchange for providing below market units. The need for the parking doesn't go away. It's basically externalized onto the streets. Dale said some streets will be able to handle the additional parking, but others will not. Fries acknowledged that this might be an issue. There's a, there's a lot of different topics that are come up in zoning where we're recognizing that, it's, that the solution lies in more than just the zoning ordinance itself, right? And, and parking, and particularly on-street parking, is one of those key ones where, you know, the other tool the city has in its toolbox is the actual parking regulations on a given street. Council currently has to approve the extension of parking permit zones in residential neighborhoods. Carl Schwartz is one of the city's new planning commissioners, but he was on this call to represent the Bike and Pedestrian Advisory Committee. I mean, I think it is definitely a concern, uh, you know, when uh, residents can't find a place to park their car because new neighbors have taken their spot. But at the same time, um, you know, as a city, I think we... We need to make a decision at some point um, if we continue to require parking for every development, um, you know, two cars per family or whatever it is, one car per family, whatever it ends up being, um, we're still making it easy for everybody to have a car in the city. And as long as it's easy for everybody to have a car in a city, in this city, it's going to be harder to 
you know, improve our, our um, transit um, capabilities, uh, improve our bicycle and pedestrian capabilities. Tim Padalino is a representative from the city's Tree Commission, and he had this to say. You know, the Tree Commission supports affordable housing and, and infill development and access to, you know, dense housing. But we also need livable communities and livable neighborhoods. Um, and we need environmentally sustainable and resilient residential neighborhoods, um, especially as, you know, the effects of climate change are increasing with hotter temps and longer summers and longer stretches between precipitation. A representative from the development community said she appreciates the work that went into the residential district testing. Here's Ashley Davies of Riverbend Development, representing the Charlottesville Area Development Roundtable, or CADRE. As you look through our existing zoning code, it's so clear that um, we don't have any allowances for the missing middle housing types. And what you have shown in this analysis, I think, really proves that there is a lot of room to carefully add um, smaller, you know, housing types throughout the city. That's just a small sample from the comments at that three-hour meeting. There have been a lot of discussions and a lot of opinions. That includes a letter from a group of residents concerned that the plan will not result in additional affordable housing units. Here's a section from that letter. You can download the rest off of Sevilpedia. Development will be left to developers' priorities that have catered to more market rate and upscale buyers with nominal addition of affordable units. After all, they are in business to make a profit. This has been the pattern with multi-unit projects for years, and it will do little for affordable units, but it will increase development. There are three weeks until the City Council's joint meeting with the Planning Commission on this topic, and plenty of time to get up to speed. I am hoping to write more about this topic, but there's the theoretical and the actual. My goal with Charlottesville Community Engagement is to keep track of both. I'm not sure other information outlets are covering this topic, but I'll continue to do so. But that's the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, and thus begins another week, and I'm already raring to get going on writing the next one. It was an interesting Labor Day weekend, and I spent most of the time writing and research. This is what I do for a living, and I have a very demanding boss. Coming up soon will be the August property transactions, and it's been a busy week, and I've got to get to it, because there's a lot going on. If you would like to support this work and ensure it continues, please consider signing up for a paid subscription through Substack. At $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll get a first look at content, such as the property transactions I just mentioned, as well as whatever else I can come up with. A few weeks ago, there was a story about the lawsuit against the comprehensive plan. I was the only member of the media in the room. At $200 a year, you can get a couple of shoutouts each month. Either way, Ting will match your initial payment, which is an extra boost of fuel for this venture, and I'm very glad they're doing so. And if you sign up for Ting through a link in the newsletter, free standard installation, your second month free, and a $75 downtown mall gift card. If you go this route to get your high-speed internet, enter the promo code COMMUNITY for full effect. Music in the podcast version comes from a musical entity known as Vrocky, a musical entity you can sample more of if you purchase the album Regret Everything on Bandcamp. 
You don't have to pay anything. He'll give it to you for free. I come up with the interstitials that you'll sometimes hear in the podcast, and I hope to make more music. And if you want to contribute something, let me know. After all, this is a community engagement thing, and more music would be great. But for now, that is the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. I've got to get ready to go on to Courtney Stewart's show on WINA in five and a half hours. There are certain rituals I have to do, which might involve playing video games to calm down for a little while. Until then, thank you very much for listening and see you tomorrow. Goodbye.